Till I'm Tiptoed You Dot com The podcast about pop culture Black history and spirituality Yeah It's about to be a great vibe Dr. Tip Gonna take it away Till I'm Tiptoed You Hey y'all, hey, it's your girl Tip. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You. I am going, let, let me just start the podcast with saying why I'm a day late. You know, Brandon was supposed to record with me Saturday. So Monday's episode would be posted. We could go through some black love stuff, so on and so forth, right? Um, you see what day it is. Today is Tuesday. Brandon has canceled on me three days in a row and I'm starting to reevaluate the quality of our friendship. He swears we're going to record today. So hopefully next week we'll have a conversation about black love. Um, but I, I got to get it in today. The stuff that I want to address. So here's some things that I want to cover today. I want to talk about the Derek Chauvin trial. Um, you know, the murderer of George Floyd. We're going to talk about that trial today just a little bit, not a lot, because, and I'm going to tell you why it's not a lot when we get there. Um, I'm going to talk to you about what it means to turn inward together, because I think that's what we need to be doing right now. And then I also want to tell you about some things that are going on with me that are having a huge difference in my life, and I want to share it with you. So let's just jump right in. So listen, uh, the Derek Chauvin trial started yesterday. He is the cop who had his knee on the neck of George Floyd for about nine minutes. Um, my parents watched. Okay, so the, the trial was um, televised. My parents watched. I walked in and out of the room a couple of times, and I realized I didn't want to be anywhere near where I could hear even bits and pieces of what's happening. I have tried not to read any news articles about things that happened in the trial, but I can tell you from conversations I witnessed and what my parents told me last night that once again, and I'm not surprised by this, you shouldn't be surprised either, that once again, George Floyd is being made a victim and the hypocrisy and illogical stance that is being taken by the defense doesn't even make sense. Like you, okay, so he's so weak. His heart is so weak. Um, and he's he's so incapacitated by these drugs that he dies as a result of his own choices and his own physical ailments. Or he's so strong and the crowd was so big that Chauvin was, you know, kind of acting in self-defense, whatever, whatever. See, both those things can't be true. Both of those things can't be true. And I think what we're starting to witness is not a, I think what we're beginning to witness in this country is a willingness, a desperation that causes a willingness to no longer even pretend to make sense with this stuff. Like what happened in Georgia, people say, oh, that's not a racist law. You're not even pretending to make sense at this point. Anybody with two brain cells can figure out what you all are doing to suppress black votes, to suppress minority vote in the state of Georgia, just like anyone who can see that video knows that one, there was not a crowd. What are you talking about a crowd? It was like four or five people. 
You understand what I'm saying? So here's what I really wanted to say about that. I chose not to. And here's why. I hope more of us begin to do this. Yes, it is informed. I'm important to be informed about these events when they occur. And so I understand people who watch it for that reason. But we have to be extremely careful of the effects that these things have on our bodies. Right. Me just thinking about it now, my tummy is getting tight. My, ch- my breathing is getting shallow. I can feel myself physically stressed when I think about a murder that occurred in broad daylight that you have the nerve to try to defend. Right. All of that does something to my body. And we have to remember that while they are explicitly killing brothers and sisters in the streets like that. Over time, the exposure to those stressors related to that can be killing those of us who bear witness. And so we have to be very intentional about what we watch and why. And where it sits in our body matters. You, you can't. There is a numbness that comes when we watch too much of that stuff that is also very dangerous. Right. If you see. Let's just talk about a fly, right? Most of us have seen, I don't know how many flies murdered or killed in our lives, right? So when we see a fly and it's aggravating us, our first instinct is to kill it. Because, I mean, over time, we've been socialized to believe that the life doesn't mean anything, that there is no consequence to that killing. And and I kill flies, so I don't want you to think I'm judging people who kill bugs. But what I'm saying is over time, we've been socialized not to think that that's a big deal. We don't even think about it. We think about removing a nuisance, right? If we watch too much of this murder porn, if we we pay attention too much of it, I am worried that over time we build up a numbness to it. And we no longer, I'm not going to say that we no longer think that life is valuable, particularly black life. But I do think it begins to do something to us that we have to be aware of. And so I just want to point that out, that if, if you are feeling uncomfortable when those trials and news um, events and things like that, that are full of pain, black pain in particular, you don't have to tune in. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. You hear me all the time talk about systematic responses to systematic oppression. There will be some of us who will watch. It won't be me. But there will be some of us and they will report on it. They'll tell us about it. They'll write about it. They'll tweet about it, so on and so forth. We can ingest that in small doses, doses that are readily digestible for our own mental health. But we don't have to sit at the table. Okay? I just want to offer that word to you today because it's systematic, babe. And even the broadcasts about these things are a tool. I'm just going to leave that there. You don't have to watch. You really don't. You're not missing anything. Okay? Because somebody will. Somebody we can trust will. All right. In response to that, I want to say this. It is time. It is beyond time. The historical record tells us what to do. It is beyond time for us to turn inward together. Turn inward together. And this is what I mean. I'm not talking about removing oneself from every facet of U.S. society. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying have agency over 
everywhere we are. And in those cases where we can't have full, complete agency over a thing, we need to have institutions established that can be alternates for that thing. Here's what I mean. I'm an educator. I support public schools. I work in a public institution. I do not expect for a public state-run institution to do everything for black students that it needs to do. Right? I can create more stress in my body, more stress mentally for myself by pushing this this big machine that's 10,000 times bigger than me to do what I think it should do. Or I can take that energy and put it into building alternative institutions. That's a turning inward. Now, here's what I mean by turn inward together. I'm not building those alternative institutions just for Tiffany. Those alternative institutions are established for my people. And an institution, that any institution that I work towards building, it won't be just Tiffany working on it. That's a turning inward together, right? So if you work in, um, uh, what's an example? If you, want, work, if you work in healthcare, you may work at the hospital. You know you can't get them to care about black maternal health in the same ways that they care about other people's maternal health. So you can have stress related to that. And I think we should advocate for that in those spaces. So don't get me wrong. I am saying advocate for it in those spaces. But the energy that you put into fully investing and making the beast change itself is better spent by turning inward and creating institutions in our communities where black mental uh, maternal health is a priority. So train doulas, train midwives, Finance that training for other people. Create networks of black doulas and midwives. So on and so forth. That's what I mean by turning inward together. History holds the keys, right? So when we look at Maroon settlements, it wasn't just enslaved people self-liberating and moving to hostile areas. It was black people self-liberating, moving to hostile areas and creating working communities together. There's a reason why the Palmeiras, Maroon Settlement, or Quillombo in Brazil lasted as long as it did. Some say 500 years. How did it last that long? It didn't last that long depending on outside social institutions. It is able to last that long because there are alternative institutions with which the community, over which the community has full control. Now, this next part, I'm going to say it may be a little, you know, I, I I don't know what tension there is around the issue of me saying I'm not supporting boycotting Georgia. I'm, I don't support that. You know why? Because I live here. I, 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 I had this. Well, I don't even know if you want to call it a discussion. That's another podcast for another day. But there was a historian calling for the Coca-Cola boycotts in relation to this voter suppression law here in Georgia. And I even conceded that boycott is a strategy, but it's but one strategy. And it's a strategy that I think we have to be very careful employing. And here's why. Coca-Cola, Delta, Home Depot, these big organizations 
how many black folks do they employ? If you walk through the Atlanta airport, how many black people do you see? In the Delta terminal alone. Because you got to remember, we're not talking about just the pilots, not just the flight attendants. You've got custodians cleaning. You've got security, TSA. You've got all those people working in those restaurants and kiosks and things like that. Think about how many people you see on a regular when you walk through the Delta terminal at the Atlanta airport. Now, if we boycott Delta, right? Yes, we are putting economic pressure on this company. But what is happening to the people who cannot get their checks. And so I think boycotting is very dangerous if you have not planned and implemented alternative systems of support. So here's why I got into it with this historian, because she was saying, okay, but the Montgomery bus boycotts, people who worked at the terminal certainly probably did suffer. And so I don't remember reading where they complained about the boys. Okay, listen. All right. I concede that, but you must concede if you're going to pull the history on it, pull the whole story. The reason that those boycotts lasted as long as they did is because there was already alternative transportation systems put in place to support black folk getting to work, getting to school, getting to church, wherever they needed to go. When you decided to post that meme from your cush middle class home Two states over. Did you think about the implication it would have on working class folk right here in Georgia? Have you helped to establish an institution, an alternate to Delta, an alternative to Coca-Cola, an alternative to Home Depot that can employ as many people? Now, I'm certainly not saying that holding corporations feet to the fire is the wrong thing to do. I am saying that at this point in black history in the United States, we should have paid attention to what works and doesn't work. We should be more sensitive to how things affect the whole and not the part of us. It is certainly easier for me to sit at my desk and type out a meme about Coca-Cola than it is for a person working at Coca-Cola to make a decision about what needs to happen. We can't have it both ways. See, black folk hate for other people to try to speak for us and tell other people what we need. Right. We want to use our own voice. We want to assert our own needs. So on and so forth. So can we understand that that's that tends to be what's happening in these social movements right now? Look at what's happening with the Rice family. That these outside activists came in. Right. Received a little clout. And now we're finding out some money for supposedly being activists and the family is saying, hey, but it didn't hit us. We weren't affected in the way that we should have been affected. That kind of community dynamic has to leave. I'm not going to do it today. I'll do it on another podcast. But some of us need to reread the miseducation of the Negro because we forget that, yes, it is primarily about school, but there's a portion in there about what it means to be a public servant. All I'm saying is middle class people should not be making decisions that could negatively impact working class people without working class people being at the table to say, yes, this strategy works for us, too. And to not even consider the conversation is privileged at worst and nefarious at best.
Oh, I said that backwards, but you know what I mean. I'm just saying we need to turn inward, but that turn inward has to happen together. And we have to think systematically and we have to think about how the whole is impacted. And let me say this, and this is the part I, I'm, I'm trying to wait for Brandon. When we turn inward together, there are some people that don't belong in the togetherness. They may look like us. They don't belong in the togetherness because they are users They are consumers and they have nothing to contribute to the collective. In fact, I'm not even sure they want to contribute to the collective. That's neither here nor there. That's another episode. Y'all put some pressure on B Simmons 1451 on Instagram to keep his appointments. All right. So I wanted to tell you some stuff that's going on with me. Some of you um, that follow me on Instagram may have seen the seven by five challenge that I did. Uh, Was that last week? week before last, where I dedicated myself, committed myself to seven complete, seven consecutive days of at least five minutes of meditation per day. And let me say this before I explain, or let me say this to explain why I did it. I have meditated on and off for years, right? That's not necessarily a new practice for me. Consistency is, right? So I'm one of those people, and I know I'm not alone, I'm one of those people who will take on a good habit and do it. And then when it starts working, I figure I don't need it anymore. So I kind of drop it until I feel like I need it again. And then I pick it up and fix the stuff. And then I drop it again. Um, Some of us are like that with our prayer life. Like we'll pray really, really hard when things are bad. But when things are good, then we hit the Lord with the the quick grace. (laughs) We, you know, the, the water, this is... I'm about to tell all my business, you know, or the water glasses on the boat to go completely dry for a month or two until you're stressed about something. And then, you, then they got the fresh water and the nice flowers. Right. Um, and I recognize that pattern in myself that I, I do the things that I know to do when I need them the most, but I don't do them well enough to keep up my spiritual hygiene. It's preventative medicine, right? Some of us eat well. We're disciplined in eating well because it's preventative care for our bodies. We don't want to be on dialysis. We don't want to be on insulin. We don't want to have um, joint problems that come from obesity. We, you know, all of these things. So we eat in a, in a disciplined fashion because it's preventative. But many of us haven't done that with our holistic health care. So, for example, I know that meditation is good for me. I know of the benefits to meditation, deeper sleep, better cardiovascular health. Um, It helps process stress. It helps with focus and concentration. Um, You know, all of these things that it does for your body, it it helps memory. All of these things that's good for in your body. I tend to, tended prior to my seven by five challenge, tended to only use it on those days where the stress was almost through the roof. Right. So it was reactionary. It wasn't proactive. And, you know, politically, I believe in being proactive and not reactionary. And so it was like a little bird said, Tiffany, you if you want a holistic health, holistic success, including holistic health, you have to have that same attitude of being proactive versus reactionary with your health. And so there are a lot of things I've been doing and that's what I want to talk to you about. So I've implemented the daily meditation. Some days I do the full out, full boy, right? I'm sitting here, quiet, 10, 15 minutes. Let me not lie to you. Most days I'm hitting five, minimum of five. I don't do less than five, all right? But even those 
five minute a day things have made a huge difference in my life in terms of what I've accepted, um, my ability to create boundaries around myself, my ability to feel deeper joy, my ability to feel deeper gratitude about this thing called life, my ability to process through information better. My writing, I think, is flowing more clearly. Those kinds of things, just from those five minutes a day. And so if you have not already done it, I'll probably open it back up on Instagram and do it again. The seven by five challenge. All you have to do, there's nothing to sign up for. I'm not trying to get you on my email list. I mean, I am, but not with this. (laughs) Um, You know, so all you have to do is if you're on Instagram or another form of social media, You post evidence of your meditation for seven days um, and you just put the hashtag, hashtag 7x5 challenge. That's all. That's all I'm asking you to do. So, um, yeah, join me. I'm going to do it again probably next Monday. I'll post on Instagram before I do it and then we'll do it because I have seen such, such a change. And remember, I believe in turning inward together. So if I know it works, I want other people to to have it too. To that end, those of you who don't know, here's my shameless plug. I do have a YouTube channel and on that YouTube channel, I do have guided meditations. So if you're new to meditation and you don't know where to start, these meditations are primarily, we're not the only people that can use them, but they're primarily made for black women. I make no apologies about that. All right. So that's there. I'll put a link in the show notes to my YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe to the page. Turn on your notifications for new meditations that are coming out. It'll probably be a new one up either later today or tomorrow. I'm going to try to do some fancy effects with the, with the podcast sound. You are probably listening to it now, so tell me what you think. That is going to take me longer than usual to upload the podcast, so the meditation may not go up until tomorrow because I do have to work in between. One day we're going to have a conversation about how your job can be a distraction to your work. Okay. As soon as I figure out how to fix that, I know how to fix it. I am fixing it. Let me, but one day we'll, we'll have a conversation about it. Um, so I, I've done the meditation thing. The other thing is um, Brother Adisa from the Bishop Chronicles podcast. If you have not listened to it, go listen to it. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, has really been helpful. And under his advisement, I have started juicing. Uh, Again, this is something I did way back. I had a juicer probably 20 years ago that I used for maybe a week. (laughs) It was just the cleanup. I just, I, you know, but his, his advisement was so practical. It was the first time somebody had told me, you know, you should just add these little things to your day. it was a lot easier for me to think about adding something than restricting myself. The restriction is coming naturally as I add to, which is what he told me would happen. And I'm very happy to report that I have been juicing. So I'm taking in more fresh fruits and vegetables than I usually have because they're coming in the form of this juice. Right? I'm not doing it as a meal, meal replacement, um, but it's helping me be full faster which means I'm eating less. It gives me, I have so much more energy, y'all. I am so much clearer about the things I want. It's like someone, you know how you look out of a window and it's it's just kind of smudgy and you, you get accustomed to looking out of this smudgy window and you don't realize how blurry things are until you start to clean it off. 
And that's how the meditation and the juicing and the other thing I'm doing is intermittent fasting. It's amazing how those things are starting to wipe away the smudges. And it has enabled me to make some changes over the last two weeks. I mean, it's it's not been a long time. So I don't want you to think, oh, she thinks she know it all because it's been seven days. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's only been seven days. I've only done these things for seven days. And look at how much has changed in seven days. I mean, even to the point where some of my jeans now are fitting differently in seven days without me denying myself anything I want. And this is not a health podcast, but what I wanted to tell you that to say this. The Yoruba say it is bit by bit that we eat the head of the rat. So if you take an undesirable task like eating a rat, <laughs> you can do it if you do it bit by bit by bit. Some of us turn up our nose on small changes. Because we think it doesn't matter. But those small changes can start to snowball into big effects, big consequences. That is what is happening in my life. It's it's because I'm making these small changes. Two things are happening. Like I'm chipping away at this this boulder. Right. With the small changes. But on top of me chipping away at the boulder, something called efficacy is happening or getting stronger. So efficacy is the belief one has about one's own abilities. It's a psychological principle. And actually, people who have higher self-efficacy in a skill or task or content knowledge tend to be good at that skill or task or content. Right. The more efficacious we are, the the more we believe in our abilities, the better those abilities get. Contrarily, the worse we think about our abilities, the worse we tend to perform. And it may sound um, hocus pocusy until you think about just the common sense of it all, where if I if I think I'm good at reading, I probably read. Which research says makes me better at reading. Right. So my belief drives the behavior that then drives the improvement. On the other hand, if I think I'm not good at reading, I probably don't enjoy trying to read, which means I probably don't read, which means I have no opportunity to get better at reading. You see how it works both ways. So when we make these small changes, these small incremental changes, we have to fight against the inner voice that says this is insignificant. It doesn't mean anything. Yes, it does. Because your efficacy can be improved if you just track the change. Track the change. Like, I, th- I think there are too many of us that don't track the change. How are you measuring the effects of these small changes? If you're doing the 7 by 5 challenge, you should journal on the first day. I want you to journal every day. But even if you don't journal every day, journal the day before you start. And then journal the day after 7 days. And see if there's a difference in how you feel. Same thing with this intermittent fasting. I'm not even, the the side effects of the genes being baggier within seven days, that's that's a benefit, yes. But primarily, I am just in awe of how your body responds to good treatment. Like I have so much more energy. I sleep so much better through the night. Do you understand what I'm saying? That we have to track changes. Okay, 
So that I, I, I just want us to be clear on these things. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we deserve to be our best selves. When we turn inward together, everybody has to bring the best of themselves for this to work. Right? I can't be planning, which I am, I can't be planning virtual rites of passage experiences for students if I'm not situating myself in my best self while I'm writing that curriculum and designing those activities. The curriculum wouldn't be its best if I weren't sleeping deeply at night, if I didn't have the energy to work towards it. Right? So when we are ready to turn inward together, we do it together. And we bring our best selves to the table. And this is the last point I want to make today. I don't know what hit me with this the other night, but it hit me and it hit me pretty hard. Um, Our ancestors see us. Our ancestors see us. Energy is neither created nor destroyed. They see us and and in many ways they are in us, right? Genetically, they are in us. We are predisposed to certain things because they are present. So they're watching. They are watching. And we owe them being our best selves. We owe them by getting the rest that was denied to them. That's why I love the net ministry. We owe them by earning the wealth they were unable to. We owe them by learning as much as we could because in many ways that was denied to them. We owe them learning more about their culture traditions that were snatched away from them and made illegal. We owe them these things. So part of my motivation lately has been, am I living in service to their memory? So I'll leave you with that. I hope that today is everything, every little thing that you need for it to be. And if it's not, make it so. I love y'all. Take care. Bye.